Greetings and uh, salutations to everybody out there. Happy Wednesday. How's everyone doing in the chat? See a lot of epic people out there. Really excited to be hanging with Topher again. And we have brought, we've, uh, we've subbed out Gabriel for Dylan. So that'll be fun. I think he's just going to blow smoke the entire show. (laughs) That's nice. I'm literally here for moral support. And if you hear Topher say geometry, oscillation, argonaut, and ether in the same sentence, and his eyes start going like this. <laughs> you know he's in a you know he's in a gravy K hole. So while his wife gets him some sugar water, I'll step in. I don't think I've ever said argonaut. Moshi, hello. I'm arriving fashionably late. Actually, it's fashionably perfectly on time. You, know, you just skipped the intro music. Perfect. Oh, man. How do you like we were, them? We were just saying how your people are probably devising some high interest loans. Doing, yes, yes. Doing something. The Jews. <laughs> the Jews. Well, that's why I'm late because I was at that meeting of, uh, you know. It's even more secret than the Bilderberg meetings. It's the, yes. the special Jewish meetings. Are your, are your hands raw from all the collective hand rubbing? Yeah, like, like. <laughs> 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 that's no joke man I was uh, I, I met somebody the other day and they said what's your name I said Moshe and the guy said is that is that is that I said yeah it's Jewish and the, the, the woman that was there she said oh global domination <laughs> yeah everybody's getting it obviously you were just <laughs> some uh, modest yahoo I'm Mashiach now <laughs> that's good that's good how you been Moshe it's been uh it's been a while since we got to do a stream and hang out I know we've been kicking around the idea of bringing you and Topher on to the same show for a while and I'm glad that tonight's the night me too I've been I've been looking forward to this for sure and uh I'm Moshe uh Reed Spirit World what's up bud how's it going my name's Dylan Hey, hey. You call me Dylan, 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 and Dylan, the five greatest rappers of all time, because I spit hot fire. Or you can call me Great Tide. <laughs> oh, um, yeah. Uh, Rumpel, Rumpel on the Hill, old chap, is correct. Dylan was full of gravy on the Old World Florida YouTube channel. Everybody check that out. That was pretty awesome. Yeah, I haven't seen that yet. Did you, uh, did you have a lot of correcting to do? Did you have a lot of... No, he's, he's really... He, I, think, I think he dials it back as a gentleman for other guests, but he and mm-hmm. I are pretty much on the same page. Um, the only difference is he goes back like probably like 7,000 BC. So he goes back to a time where the North pole is habitable. And that's where he thinks the Phoenicians came from down from Finland. Whereas I, I just trace back language and think it comes from Italy and goes upwards. But mm-hmm. other than that, we're pretty much on the same page with a lot of stuff. Yeah, I really liked it. It was just two people that want to put the puzzle pieces together and don't seem like there's a lot of agenda other than what actually happened. What's the truth? I, I really enjoyed that. So check out. So Old that's Lord, my that's Old my Lord endorsement Lord. for him and uh, Al Dog. They're gentlemen. Um, and one of the telltale signs I look for in someone is like when you contradict each other, how do you get like super emotional and like huffy puff? Mm-hmm. And he's like such a chill dude that like. I got really good vibes in terms of like, I don't think he would ever be putting shit out that he didn't believe. Mm-hmm. So I try to trounce my opponents. 
There's nothing left. <laughs> Dance on their corpses. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> Speaking of Al Dog, he was our vibrant guest last week. And uh, I just got to say, you know, if you're out there, buddy, uh, mild apology that I didn't finish the book before we had the stream. Because after <laughs> I started reading it like the day before, and then uh, after the talk, I couldn't put it down. It's so funny. The Charter, the funniest shit. Like it's hard to write fiction, but really hard to write fiction that makes you laugh out loud. So full endorsement of that book. I hope uh, I hope you guys out there check it out. We'll have to bring him back on and do a part two. Yeah, he's such a nice guy on online. Like he's just always so upbeat and positive. Yeah, buddy. Yeah, so uh, maybe I'll let Topher steer the ship for a little while and tell us a bit about your uh, your history with Doctor Moshe. And well, man, it was really kind of fun. I I I moved down to Costa Rica and lost my hat. You guys know the whole story. And I moved back to Florida to sell my house. And as I moved back to Florida, I, I come across this crazy madman making. Uh, Joe cells, but spherical Joe cells. And I had already had a, a real Joe cell in, in uh, Costa Rica. And I was just going ape shit over his work. What was it? The first books that you released the, 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 the four, last the last, last four books. books of Moses book one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Book one of that. Yeah. So I had read like 65 pages of that first book of his and uh, I reached out to him just like I reach out to everybody I respect. And I was like, dude, uh, first of all, I need one of your mojo cells. And we just started rapping about everything. And it happened to be that his parents had a house that wasn't too far away from where my in-laws, my in-laws parents house was. So it, w it wasn't that long. What was it like a month before we met each other in person? Yeah, it manifested pretty quickly. Yeah, it was really. I remember that trip. It was amazing. We drove from Florida to Texas with a Mojo cell. Yeah, installed, which was really cool. And yeah, we. The whole thing, like the cool thing about Moshe, which I don't know how many people know about. At least <laughs> now it's kind of ironic. Because back then I was Mr. Ayurvedic, Mr. Full-on Ayurvedic and Vedanta Advaita poster boy. Like I was a, a non-dualist to the nth degree. And he sussed out very quickly that the guru that I was giving my attention to was a con man. And <laughs> very quickly, uh, like... I remember the conversation. I was walking into a brand new Whole Foods and he was on the phone and he was like, no, there is an up and a down. There is a good and a bad. There is these like he, he just wouldn't let me go into my circular logic loop, which is created a lot with Vedanta Advaita. And it snapped me out of this, this malaise I was in. And so for all the technical you know, rigmarole that we got into and all the, for all of the, I don't know, mechanics of things where I connected with him the most was with spirituality. Cause even though he was coming from a completely different vantage point, we, we really vibed at that level. We both 
we're in the pursuit of God, which is the pursuit of truth, you know, the pursuit of love. We are just coming at it from different directions. And I, I think every day that he came into my life or I reached out to him, however you want to say it, and then helped helped course correct <laughs> because I literally I had been duped hard. <laughs> like when I talk to people about the new age movement and stuff like that, I'm coming from like direct personal experience, like living in the ashram for four years, dedicating my life. Were you to, sunning your balls? Oh, I sunned my balls good. later. No, I, it, it's kind of weird though. Like my whole later life stuff has all been confirmatory of stuff I experienced as a kid. Like I remember, I remember being an athlete in South Florida and a lot of times you're just like caught out in the sun as fucking hot as balls. So you, I took my clothes off all the times and I would experiment. Like sometimes I would feel the sun and then I'd be like, huh, what is that? And then I would like open my eyes and look at it and then like close my eyes and like really ask what it is that I'm experiencing. I sunned every part of my body <laughs> my entire life. So you know, all these types of things, that wasn't anything from a super spiritual perspective. I think that was just from a location, you know, proximity type thing. I was just kidding. I'm not asking you to talk about sun in your balls. People ask that type of stuff. You, you go it's, super it's crazy. cat in right now when you get off this stream. <laughs> I need to do it again. I'll tell you that. You know, Topher, when I first met you, one thing I really appreciated about you was that you were just a real, just a real person. You were a grounded person. You weren't afraid to do like when we get it, like a lot of people, when they get into spirituality, they get, they get a little goody two shoes with it. If you know what I mean? Like um, you have to be very clean and everything you say has to be very spiritual. And you were just like really down to earth swearing, didn't give a shit. I really appreciate that. I found it very real just because the, the, I don't know if you want to call it the new age community. There's a subtle, like, you know, a subtle spiritizing, you know, kind of uh, spiritual bypassing that goes on. So I, I've, I always identified as being very, you know, very earthly, very grounded, very down to earth, just, just me, human being, I just am what I am. And to meet that in you was like a real kindred spirit kind of thing. Yeah. I, I think just duding out too. That was the one thing I really missed in the super spiritual world was that was like at the heyday of, of South park. And I just remember I used to like go into the corner and watch South park and be like kind of alone because I thought it was <laughs> so funny because there were, there were no sacred cows. And I love that. And I love that no one was safe with them. And I really identified with that as an athlete because when you're on the field with some pussy, with somebody that doesn't like, that wants to be a victim, they're useless. And so to this day, like I still have a real problem with victim, victim mentality. So that was it's where the worst I, in sports. It's like they're waiting for a way to act like they're hurt so they can get off the field. Like, why are you even here? Soccer. Yeah. And I was around really like I, I would get very mad because at, in my younger life, I was extremely competitive. And I would see these massive men with incredible capacity, but they were utter faggots. And I'd be like, 
do some work, like just show up. Just like if I had like, you know, 60% of what you had, I would be like, whatever, but they just didn't want to work. They didn't want to actually like, they didn't want to hurt. Like the, the one thing I noticed was like, there was a, a lot of athletes I came across that were, they didn't have a high pain tolerance. They probably loved themselves more than I did. <laughs> but um, I, to me, that was inexcusable, especially when so many other people were sacrificing so much to, to be where we were. So anyway. Public service announcement in case YouTube's algorithm wants to molest us. He was actually referring to what I'm smoking. London style. <laughs> <laughs> Long bottom leaf. <laughs> it's a long bottom leaf. <laughs> I'm gonna bring faggot back into the lexicon just because I make faggot stoves. Like literally, a rocket stove is a faggot stove. A faggot is a bundle of of sticks. So yeah. I'm bringing it back. We're we're coming in strong and hot. Nice. nice. Uh, you know. Your story, though, about you guys meeting. One thing I've noticed about you, Topher, is that you're really, really good at making connections with people that you have no previous connection to and just going straight to a, a strong forged bond of mutual winningness. You know, so I got to give you kudos to that. I, I still remember when you kind of just came out of nowhere into my world and uh, couldn't be more glad you're one of my best friends. So. Uh, yeah. you know, amazing that you have that skill. Well, the thing is, is I don't reach out to lame people. Like every person I reach out to, like just to be like, put it all out there on the record. You all are high performers. Like I don't, I don't, I don't fuck around with dipshits. So like if I'm choosing to spend time with somebody, if I want to hang out, like if I want, it's not because the person is just like, Oh, they're nice. <laughs> <laughs> like in my in my frame of reference just to be perfectly honest it's just like like chance you you produce the best show on the internet right now with with the level of expertise with the amount of uh, production value it's wonderful i absolutely look forward to your podcast every every time it comes out so Dylan, when I first started coming across your stuff, even though I know nothing about linguistics, I was like, this motherfucker knows a lot. I got to talk to this dude. So I'm that kind was of how it was when I came across Dylan. But first I had to like play the dance of earnest trust because he was very damaged. <laughs> well, I'm glad you I'm glad I'm glad you broached that. I'm not damaged. I'm just like I grew up. No, you're Irish. doing you're not damaged now, I'm but crabby, you know, you're aware. I'm a crabby Irishman in an Italian body. People don't understand like that Boston, New England act like attitude. It's <laughs> Yeah, but you would just come out of you were on your way out of hell, LA. So, you know, it was a it's a interesting ride you were on at that time, but let's let's kick it over to Moshe. We brought up the fact that you two connected over his Joe Cell design, but Mojo. I bet Mojo Cell. And uh, I all I'm with you guys in the chat that I'm not entirely sure what that is, and maybe we could get your explanation on the work you were doing at that time and lead us through that. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, the story starts with Joe. There was some possible 
um, rumors that Joe's uncle sounds like Trump was like had all these sort of Nazi secrets and knew how to create free energy from electrifying water in a special way. I, I don't know if that's true or not, but Joe, the, the stories were that Joe got, he had these uh, concentric pipes. So like a, like a, a one inch pipe within a two inch pipe with like Russian dolls, you know, until five inches. So, and you fill it with water and then you run electricity only on the outer and the inner one and all the other pipes act as neutral amplifiers. It's sort of like a capacitor. And <clears throat> so it was producing gas, but Joe even was able to notice that the car would run without the, the electricity even being connected. So the, the water was prepped in some way, and then, then the car was running strictly on this, this uh, energy. You know, I think he was gotten to, and he was an Australian fellow, and he started to mishmash his story. And I think, I don't know why he changed his story. I, I, won't, I won't theorize about that. But as soon as I learned about the Joe cell, my mind went right away to making it spherical. A sphere within a sphere within a sphere within a sphere. Same principle, you run the electricity to the inner sphere and the outer sphere. And what I love about that is uh, the understanding that water is diamagnetic. So what is diamagnetic, in case somebody doesn't know? It's sort of the opposite of ferromagnetic, which is what we typically know as magnetism, is you have a magnet and it sticks to a fridge. That's, you know, a magnet sticking to iron and iron is ferromagnetic and there's an attraction that sticks. Um, so diamagnetism is the opposite of that, is that when you expose a diamagnetic substance to a magnetic field, it causes a, a weak repulsion. There's a, there's a pushback against it. It's like it rejects the magnetic field, it pushes it back. So you may have seen like uh, videos or images of frogs levitating above a strong magnet. It's because the frog is filled with predominantly water and water is diamagnetic. So I, I was geeking out about this principle that if you have a sphere and you run a magnetic field through it, which, which is exactly what happens, that the whole, the whole sphere becomes magnetized and the outer sphere is magnetized. Well, the water that's inside is surrounded by a magnetic field and it has nowhere to go if it needs to repel against the magnetic field because it's surrounded. Therefore, the very centermost point of the sphere, the water, will have to implode to escape from the field. And that's what I think is the magic of the mojo cell, is it is causing a kind of a, a three-dimensional magnet with an imploded center. And if you've studied, you know, Tom Bearden or Keeley or um, Walter Russell, or they talk a lot about the neutral center. The center is very important. And, and the idea of implosion. I, don't, I, I imagine you may have some experience with implosion versus explosion, you know, cold electricity instead of hot, shocking, deadly. It's kind of a buzzword right now with the, uh, the whole sub psyop implosion ah that's true right 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 absolutely implosion is a, is a big is a big term so one of the things that joe of joe cell fame would talk about is that when you light the gas that comes out of the joe cell it 
it at, at some point the explosion it stops exploding it, it, perhaps right off the bat and it will implode in, instead and it draws the piston down instead of exploding upward and pushing against the, the piston. Um, that's one theory. Nobody really knows why the car runs off of the, the, the power of the Joe cell or the Mojo cell. Some theorize that it's because the cells are creating neutrinos. A neutrino is a balanced electromagnetic, uh, you know, it's a, it's a charged particle, but it's, it has a neutrally balanced charge. But it does, it went in a high voltage ignition, which we have in our, our cars, the, the neutrino releases energy and it releases electrons. And that's another theory about how the Mojo cell and the Joe cell work. Um, one of the things that Topher and I, I think perhaps geeked out the most about the Mojo cell is the energy field that it emits. Yes. We, we had an experience where we were in Florida and we met this really like kind of eccentric um, electrician guy who was a brilliant guy. His name is Chris, another Chris. And he, he made these special, he made this special charging circuit that would start smoking after about 30 seconds. But, but the first 30 seconds though, it made such, it grabbed you like, like, like grabbed you right in the heart. And we, we did something, we opened something up or, or any, we don't know exactly what it was, but we were visited by a black ops chopper at night. They came to check it out. I think we were putting out some strong scalar waves and they just came to check us out. They're like, ah, oh, a bunch of doofuses uh, doing some weird, uh, weird tech, nothing to worry about. You know, they, so, so this is, this is what, uh, uh, some of the, the aspects of the, the mojo cell are about is that, you know, when you study alchemy or even you study yoga or you study Taoism or acupuncture, anything about that has to do with the balance of opposites. The mojo cell creates a field where the opposites are balanced, the positive magnetism, electromagnetism, and the negative electromagnetism. So when the two are applied in this, in this way, there's a neutral center that's created between them and also in the very core. And that emits a field, and it, it, it speaks to the higher plane of each human being that's exposed to it. It, it livens up, it evokes, it, it stimulates the causal plane, the bliss body. In, in the yoga tradition, it's Ananda Maya Kosha. It's the bliss body. It's, the, it's where the Christ sits on the throne it's where there is a- absolute absence of polarity. It's non-dualism, and it's where all power comes from. It's the center fulcrum point on the seesaw that provides the power point so that there could be this motion of up and down. And that's, I think, another aspect of the mojo cell that's very powerful is it creates this powerful field. And I, I want to add something to that when you're talking about the field. My... Uh, my ex-father-in-law, may, may Bill's soul rest in peace, he was a mannequin. Um, he didn't move well. He was really stiff. He was a super nice guy to Moshe and I because his father was an inventor. So he uh, he really liked the juice that we brought to his house. Plus, he didn't have to deal with family members he didn't want to deal with. But 
that the night that we got those two cells to resonate, that man livened up like he could hear out of his deaf ear, like everybody felt what was so amazing about the resonance of those two cells was here was this man that literally walked like stiff as a board. We got the cells to resonate right before midnight, right? It was like 1130. We're out on the patio and he was like a kid again. Like he was moving and he was just like so excited. And when the resonance fell off, we were all still kind of in the bliss state of it. Like all of us younger people. And like, he was just like, it was like, it took 30 years off of like, off of him. He was just, he was a kid again. And we noticed that when we were on our drive to Texas, also, whenever the cell would resonate, everybody in the car would be in a really good, like almost levitational mood. And then we were driving in the car where the woman who owned the car and her boyfriend were fighting and we were watching the scan gauge of the mileage and the mileage just kept going down and down and down. So there is something with this, with consciousness, there is something to these cells, the water that's in the cell, the water connecting to our water body and the greater water body that there was just something we don't, I'll, I'll speak for myself. I don't know how it happens. I just know it does happen. And so it's, it's a, it definitely, the field effects of these things are, are pretty remarkable. Yeah, for sure. Can I ask I you something? Oh, sorry. No, yeah, go ahead, Dylan. Go ahead. Well, all this stuff is, it's way out of my wheelhouse, but it's so fascinating because my like passion is fantasy and like writing stories and making films and stuff. And so what you're talking about seems like almost an actual real world natural way to describe if somebody were to possess magic powers or something what you're talking about would be the way they tap into that natural power and i I, the question that i have is the way you were describing that at the beginning about it holding things in like almost like when i think about like the law of correspondence and the microcosm the macrocosm reflecting each other do you suppose that that is what the barrier that holds the the gases that we breathe, like the pressurized air. Do you suppose it's something like that that contains what we're in? Or do you suppose it's like a hard, fast barrier? And the reason I ask is because there's no gas pressure without containment and we breathe gas pressure. Are we, are we talking the atmosphere around the earth? You're saying what keeps the gases around the... Yeah, oh. but I don't like that word because it presumes that the... It presumes a spherical shape and gases don't take a sphere. They just be... They take whatever shape. They behave... They fill the container. And yeah. so I was wondering if what you were describing, because it is kind of like... It sounded like what you were describing was kind of spherical or whatever. If right. the earth was something like that, that whatever that toroidal, whatever that barrier, is that what could be holding things in instead of an actual physical barrier? Oh, interesting. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think that there's something about, you know, magnetism, electricity and magnetism. If you look at the, the flat earth model, right, the the central point of the earth is is north pole it would be considered our north pole it's actually the south of a magnet and <clears throat> and the the movement of the cosmos around um you know even if you want to go with globe earth philosophy there there is there is something about magnetism and you know when we look at gravity gravity is a ma- is not 
is not a force that is gravitational. It's a matter of densities finding the the lowest point. So the densest object will also always make it to the lowest point, and then for less and less dense objects will 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 rise above. And gases also rise, but there's a limitation on how far they could go because there's some kind of force, electromagnetic force, that I think that holds matter in this field around us. And there's a point where there's this limitation of the, the electromagnetic and it just stops. And so gases are not going to get past there. So some people call that the firmament. I, I, I don't know if you've ever felt, uh, you know, when you take two magnets, you try to put them together and they're the same poles and there's this repulsion. You cannot force those two magnets together. And it's shocking you. There was this video of they, they sent this like rocket up into space and it was going up and all of a sudden it hit, right? Oh, yeah, Topher, you're showing the magnetic bull rays. Well, for me, there's like this limitation up there on the electromagnetic field such that matter will not travel out beyond that. So that I, I think so huge. Yeah. You, you hear what I'm saying, Topher? Yeah, that's so huge. Because the way that rocket stops, the way that fast rocket stops, it's not hitting something physical. No. Well, to is be he- fair, the way I've heard that explained is it's like got like a ballast. It's got some sort of mechanism that release that makes it stop spinning. That's the way they explained it. I don't know if that's Bull- true or not. Bullshit. It wouldn't, it wouldn't decelerate like that without it fully fucking crushing itself. Yeah, it's gonna it's going pretty quick. If you do any type of if you do any type of ballistics whatsoever, you have an acceleration in one direction and then you have an immediate stop. The back I've never end. thought about that before. I always just thought, like, did it hit the firmament? But it's not a physical hit. If it had that velocity to hit something no. hard, it would crush. That's a good point. No, no, no. The velocity yeah. of that thing was 1,200 miles per hour. So if you have anything moving 1,200 miles per hour in one direction, if the front stops, the back would crush the front. Yeah, absolutely. There's no way that the thing that would be – that would be built so structurally sound that if it hit something solid, it would crush it. That, that's what I'm saying. Like this is, oh, it looks like thing. it just reverses its velocity. Like it, it does. inverted. It got caught by a field. A field. Yeah. Caught it. By the way, um, booty, Bodhi. Yeah. Booty yoga says, looks like David LaPointe's bowls. It is. I, I 3D printed that. I sent it to Topher. He's putting in probably now as we speak, he's putting in N42 magnets. It, this is yes. a magnetic bowl array, which is a kind of an interesting, another topic. But I, I think there's Can you show us that, these, Topher, again? Yeah. Yeah. I switched Moshi on to David LaPointe's work. And uh, he's my 3D printing master. But it's everything to deal with. So this is a hemisphere. It's a dome, right? And David LaPointe's work is essentially he's been able to create plasma fields essentially by taking two fields and creating the center point of a paraboloid. They're a little bit, cl- they're a little bit separated, though, Topher. They're not glued together. That's it. That creates a, 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 new, a field in between where well, he basically had these experiments where he had a, a, a plasma medium and a high voltage ignition to like light the plasma, like a, like a, like a plasma tube or something. And he showed 
like formations in his tubes that resemble a lot of the famous nebulae that we've seen in space. So he, he proposes this idea that out there are all like, basically this is the model of the electromagnetic field of, of reality is this, these two magnetic bowl arrays with, you know, facing the bums like that, like what Topher just showed. And I think that our, our, our unique creation where, where we have this beautiful life, where we have life here, you know, there's these extents where beyond where the sun has its effect, it's all ice, right? And so up to a certain degree, I, I mean, this is, this is very theoretical. I can't prove this, but it's just sort of like this intuitive thing that I'm getting at here. It's like the extent beyond the electromagnetic field there cannot be movement at, in the physical. It just, it's just the stoppage point. So when you see people like going into space and floating around, like, I don't, I don't believe that's ever happened. I think that's all like, uh, you know, it's all like smokes and mirrors and, you know, Stanley Kubrick <laughs> get up and, and Tom Hanks floating How around. dare you? We put a fucking man on the moon. John Kennedy was a hero, and RFK Jr. is going to save us. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, Haven't you seen how ripped he is? <laughs> He's it's amazing. So RFK is amazing. I I was I was leery about him because of his like strong stance on like global warming and and climate change but he's softened his stance on that and said you know what I don't know the science I don't really back that anymore I I thought he was just sort of like a controlled opposition but I I'm 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 open to what he has to say he's really really amazing What do you guys what, think? Uh, I I don't have to change your mind or anything you know not to get under your skin on that comment but I think that he looks like he just is a walking advertisement for Pfizer testosterone, synthetic testosterone. Oh, really? Yeah, I, I don't have. I mean, it's I, I I totally get that when somebody starts with the right rhetoric, that it's like, okay, cool, I can get on board with that. But he's also the same of the same mafia family that put us in the current predicament with the cowpokes that we're in. So the. My, I, it would take a lot for me to get to trust anybody playing the politics game in the first place. But you know, I respect opinions. Yeah, we're witchers. We don't deal with politics or regicide. Only monsters. <laughs> okay, but let's see. I don't think he's gonna. I don't think he can win. I don't think he could win the 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 left ticket, the Democratic ticket. That 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 whole. Um, party is so deeply corrupt that there's no way that they would let him win the ticket over Biden or somebody else. But what he's doing and what he's revealing like around vaccines and his, and you know, Monsanto and like, like, like he's educating the public with his platform. And I think that is very valuable regardless of which direction he ends up going. But don't you think if he was an honest man, his throat chakra would work. That's true. I that is- I think that that's an assumption. I think there's always he obviously has some issue, but you don't know what that issue is, and you can't you can't make an assumption about that. Um, like his 
you know, his throat chakra might be closed because, and this is totally speculation. I'm, I'm not like I'm psychically tapping into him or anything, but he, his throat chakra might be closed because he was, he, he had things to say in an environment that wasn't encouraged and he became afraid and stuff like that. Not because he's a liar or he's dishonest or something like that. Or uh, Owen says it's throat chlamydia. <laughs> chlamydia of the the throat. Yeah. What, what, from his uh, vagina oral sex contest with his cousin. Yeah. I don't know, man. I think, I think he has a lot of really good things to say when I listen to him. So far, except for the that that whole like him kind of being real gangbusters about climate change, which he's changed. I want to reiterate that. You know, he he's basically sharing some really important information that I haven't been able to detect any falsehood, I- incorrect knowledge. He he's done a lot environmentally, and he's litigated against big corporations that have just he understands the science of a lot of the things that nobody's really talking about running for president, right? These are important, important issues for Americans, especially in today's day and age with chemtrailing and, you know, the, the killing of crops and like he, he's really has his finger on that pulse. So I don't know, maybe go a little easy on him chance. (laughs) (laughs) Nah, it always proves out in the end that the, uh, the, the people's champion was uh, a farce. So, but you know, we don't have to stay on the subject. I, I I'm sure. cool with it. Uh, but I, yeah, I just want to see the, I want to see two cycles of politicians just keep their campaign promises. I don't care what side of the aisle they're on. I have not in my 47 years of life have yet to see a fucking politician in a major role, keep their campaign promise. So the second I see a couple presidents in a row keep their campaign promises, then I'll start to then I'll start to pay attention again. Because whatever they say uh, leading up to an election doesn't matter. They don't do what the fuck they say they're going to do. Yeah, yeah, so true. Especially, yeah, it's uh, I mean, it's all just us in that entire realm. But we should just stay on the uh, the good electro gravy anyway. You know, people <laughs> for our yeah, sure, take. sure. Hey, how do you how do I respond if I want to chat with the 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 folks? Because sometimes they're saying cool things. I want to respond. Do okay, I just- there should be an interface on the right where you can choose between private chat and comments. But I think you have to be signed in with a YouTube account to stream like a oh. a streamyard account that links to YouTube. So oh, what might work okay. for you is if you open the stream on your browser, like in another tab, and then you should be able to shoot some comments. And if you have a YouTube. Damn, like all advanced. <laughs> well, I think I'll just if if there's something, I'll just chime in vocally instead of getting to all that. Now I'll get distracted. So yeah, there you go. Yeah, that's yeah. the best way. Just say it. You don't need to type. Just address. Yeah. It. Okay. Cool. Cool. Yeah, I have a vocal power right now. Vocal power. <laughs> Your throat chakra is fine. Thank you. <laughs> Speaking of chatters, uh, he's an I don't want to run for me. I get it right. Hey, real quick before we get into something. Because Tofu was p- paying us all these great compliments. Um, something that will blow everybody's mind is, you know, you just see Tofu here, but you don't realize what this guy can build with his hands. And he was the first person to build, I don't know what that roof's called, but it's like that spiral roof you build. I forget whose podcast you were on, if it was your. I was watching a podcast with you, 
and you were talking about this roof you built and it was incredible. And just to know that like you go out there and you do that and bring that shit into reality. I love that because it gets it totally out of the conceptual and build something. And that's like, that's as high as you can get right there. Yeah, it was really cool. This actually builds on um, what what we were talking about earlier. And I know Moshe likes to make jewelry. I met this jeweler today and this jeweler is actually a master carpenter also in uh, Moshe in his, in his, in his gallery, he had these Nubian organite pyramids. Sweet. And so I'm like, are those Nubian? And he's like, he lit up. He was like so excited. <laughs> so we started talking about, he's like, have you ever been in a teepee? And I was like, yeah. So I started showing him Dylan, my roofs. And I was like, the reciprocal roof is just a flattened out teepee. Dude, we geeked for two hours. Like we just, we were just going out. He was like, oh yeah, I do all my forms out of aluminum. And then I backboard. I'm like, you're doing plasterite, not organite. And then I was, you know, I was, it was just a great conversation. And um, yeah, it's like we've talked about before, like to be a man is to be chiral. Like, unless you're actually taking the knowledge that you have and you're, you're actually applying it some way, some, in some form out there, it doesn't really embed into your system. It's not, it's not, it's not, it will, it will never become wisdom is probably the best way of saying it. Tell, tell them about your, tell the people about the, uh, uh, your builder buddy slaves that came and built a big wall. Oh yeah. Like in, uh, it was in five hours, we moved 12,000 pounds of, um, it's essentially road base. So it's a combination of sand, clay, and rock. And, um, one of the forms of, of construction I've learned is called super Adobe. So Adobe is when you just have clay with a little bit of sand and you make like a brick and you bake it out in the sun. But Adobe is, isn't all that great of a material. If it gets hit with water, it kind of dissolves. My, um, my mentor in building, he figured out a system called Super Adobe, which is essentially use the same Adobe mixture, maybe with a little bit more sand and rock, and you compact it. And you do it in these forms. So I learned that method in 2008 and um, have been building domes with it ever since. I've since graduated. I only use the Super Adobe, usually for the lower part of my buildings because one of the, I guess you would say, principles in construction is to have your center of mass low in a building for shear strength. And even though I, even though I live in the Ozarks and there's not many earthquakes to, to speak of in this area, I've pretty much been conditioned by all the earthquakes in Costa Rica. So this earth bag wall that we built was 37 feet long. It's, I'm looking at it right now. It's five, it's four levels high. Each, Can you show each us? Level. what's that? Can you turn your your laptop or whatever? Tell me if you can see it out the window. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So you can see the edge of it. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, we moved twelve thousand pounds in five hours. It was pretty cool. Had a bunch of bears out here and. Uh, we just got to compacting. It was really cool. You know, a couple of guys were moving materials. A couple of guys were scooping materials. 
We had like six guys on the bag, a couple guys on barbed wire. We got a lot. I mean, 12,000 pounds is nothing to sneeze at. Are you using that wall for something or is it the start of something or was it just a like a workshop? Yeah, it's a water break. So this particular home, we bought a property. It's great property, but the home that's on it is at the very bottom of the hill. So when it rains, the rain comes like the whole we have actually pretty good soil in all that. <laughs> yes, we were all naked while we did this. It gets kind of tricky, though, with the barbed wire. Um, when the Stacey, water. clean yourself up, woman. Jesus. <laughs> yeah, when the water when the water comes down the hill, I was getting a flood event in my in my basement. And so even though we're going to build a house up on the top of the hill, I just wanted to make this house. I, I just needed to tighten it up before we start, before we move out of it. And I also need to teach the construction crew that um, I'm teaching a construction crew here locally, all the skills of my crews down in Central America. And so this I used as, as a training period to, to coach that, that team up. Nice. And that makes me wonder about with what you guys were talking about regarding the mojo cells and what little I comprehend about subtle energy accumulating systems with like the layering technique of uh, organic and inorganic materials, right? Mm -hmm. That How does that come into play? Like, what have you learned from, you know, collaborating with Dr. Moshe about how to bring the right energy or, you know, pranic force into the structures that you build for people to live and work in? What's really neat, um, the super Adobe system is like the most archaic system in the world. I mean, you're still using nothing but manpower to bang something, to sculpt raw earth into a shape. But they, it, it made me very, very uh, sensitive to materials science. You have to know what material will actually compact, what material will hold compaction, what material is plasticky, what material will actually stick to these other materials. I just essentially became a materials, a, a natural building material scientist. And I remember after like my fourth dome I was building, I, I, I called Moshe up and I was like, dude, these beehive domes, they're earthen batteries because we have barbed wire that we run in between five, five inches of earth. So if you could imagine you have 18 inch wide bag, that's five inches tall. And if you have a 20 foot diameter dome, you know, that bag is 60 feet long. <laughs> that's a lot of earth. And then you have two barbed wire that you could just think of it as two lines of conductors that run around it. And I was looking at a, one of my beehive domes, the one that I lived in. And I was like, I was looking at it one day and I was just like, fuck, if I just put a coil at the bottom of one of these leads and I never crossed all of these lines and I coiled all the way up to the top, I'd have at, at 20 feet of height, I would have something like, you know, around eight, 900 volts of potential. And I was like, why can't we make these structures the source of the energy that we need for the building? It was so obvious to me. And my my mentor in this, before he died, his whole thing was making the homes porcelain. So 
what he would do is he'd fill up the bags with with uh, concrete slag, which is mainly porcelain clay. And then he would light these things on fire for three days and essentially make a big piece of pottery. And so I'd been studying all these things about like the, uh, what do they call it? The Cairo battery and how you'd have like two pieces of, cl- uh, two pieces of fire clay next to each other and a dissimilar metal right there. And you had a battery. And I was just like, every structure should be its own power source. And this was way before, you know, at least on the, the internet, people were talking about Antiquitech. It was just one of these like innate things. And plus the shape, like Moshe and I were shapists, like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> a cylinder. Yeah, it's cool. But fuck, I'll take a I'll take a hemisphere over a, a cylinder any day. And and it's the same with architecture. There's something to aesthetics. There's something to actually looking at something and seeing a symmetry or seeing a biomimicry. Just even like this, like with this bowl array, you see these little cylinders and just their spacing having a symmetry is sexy. Like, that's nice. Like, anybody that looks at that, even if they don't know what it is, they'll be like, ooh, ooh. There's some energetic, the the actual thing has an energetic, the shape carries an energetic quality to me. So, not to me, but to, to everyone. And so, also, you know, I don't want to beat this dead horse, but as a massage therapist, I'm also massaging bodies all the time and certain bodies, the shape carries a vibration. And so you'll work on somebody and if they're shapely, there's an extra energy there. If they're out of shape, (laughs) we literally say it, they're out of shape. Like their, their energetic body is distorted. So there's all these things kind of work together. And when you're building a home for somebody other than taking to account just the very practical aspects of things and budget. I'm really always drilling into my clients' ears about everything about, you know, positioning for light, the flow of energy, uh, you know, where water is on the property, like all these things, just so people can actually get, allow the energetics of the structure to work for them, not against them. Yeah, man, that is super cool. Your your vision of like how you're describing the bagging and then having the uh, the barbed wire running up. So you, so you're saying about 800, 900 volts potential that, you know, if you're talking about like the sky potential and then earth grounding, mm-hmm. you're going to have it's like an electrostatic force, right? It's not yes. really it's not really high enough amperage to to do any real work or to run any real things. There, there's something we're missing, you know, like, but that's, that's the thing. And so I'm getting the guys that, you know, how I've been telling you about the Kepe motor forever for the guys out of Brazil. Yeah. I'm I'm having their lead physicist on my podcast. I'm interviewing him next week. And so finally, finally, somebody is going to describe static potential like what the static electricity is because there are motors they have motors that work on static electricity oh yeah that's right 
Um, and, and, and like you said, like, first of all, if you have a static motor electricity, you could turn like a very light uh, material. You could no, cause some movement. Dude, they have them as like two and three horsepower water pumps. Well, that is that's just awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for all you people out there that are wondering what I'm talking about. So static, we all experience it. When you live in a dry environment, you you walk across something and then you'll go reach out and you'll get a zap. Or you'll see in the when there's temperature differential with the weather or pressure mediation with the weather, you'll feel the field. You can feel either an ionization that's uplifting or a pressure that's pushing you down. These are all static potentials. So I'm of the mind that this is the real electricity. This is the bioelectricity that Tom Bearden talked about. This is the bioelectricity that Schauberger talked about. This is what the healthy energy is that we need to use. These these scientists said that the electricity that we use right now is actually a byproduct of the real stuff. (laughs) And that's why it's so that's why it has a harmful effect on us. So I just like I tell you all the time, Moshe, I don't want to make the mojo cells uh, uh, an HHO machine. I want orgone. <laughs> it's the same well, thing with the it's same thing with elect, electrical stuff. I don't want the standard. What I mean, I can do standard. I want the the higher order thing. I want to be able to convert the field directly into usable work. That's probably the best way I can say it. I'm a hundred percent with you. And what I'm saying is we're missing something. We're missing some way of converting that, yes. that electro electrostatic, the real electricity, the potential of the sky with the earth into actual movement, into actual force that can do work at a, at a level that we could use. Like Wilhelm Reich had a motor that worked on that electrostatic principle. He mm-hmm. and it also worked on the healing, the bioenergy of the subtle energy body. A healer could come and put their hand over his motor, and it would turn it uh, pretty vigorously. He modified a Geiger-Muller counter, uh, which is to measure radiation. And it would measure it, but it wouldn't stop. It would just keep measuring, it, and that as that's what caused it to spin. So I, I understand this, the power of this principle in my a garden with electroculture. Yeah. Yeah, man. I'm tapping into the sky potential, grounding into the earth, and the plants are going ape. So, they, so this does channel the subtle energy. And the plants, you can see the benefit. You can, we, we have the benefit, like when I sit in my pyramid between the sky potential and the earth potential, I have that healing potential. But then for what you're talking about and what I'm very interested in, my whole, like I'm all ears and all open eyes right now looking and just listening for how to make this work for the practical use of electricity, what we call electricity. Um, That's what I'm interested in. How did Reich do his thing? How did he convert? He used vacuum tubes. You know, if you've ever seen like a guitar amp, there's some of them have vacuum tubes, right? So he would channel this energy, this subtle energy into vacuum tube and somehow convert it. Uh, there's, there's talk that Tesla did the same thing using capacitors. 
the Joe cell, Mojo cell, their capacitors. So we're kind of getting close here, but we're missing some key point to translate the subtle into the workable, into the physical, if you know what I'm saying. We're missing biochar. <laughs> hey, I have a question. Does any of that stuff you're talking about with um, the, the static electricity and all that, I know this sounds like a dumb question because it's like Captain Obvious, but does it have like for the humans to benefit or just living like beings and stuff, does diet have anything to do with that? And if so, like what kind of diet would maybe help somebody harness that stuff better? Or if not, then no, it's all good. I was just curious. Yeah, I think there's a direct relationship with having a healthy body. It's not a one-to-one relationship, but having a healthy body, you have a more healthy vital body. The vital energy field is, it works on the principles of yin and yang, the flow between the opposites, the flow of the yin to the yang and the yang to the yin. So if you have a, a very toxic and laden body and you're eating very low vibrational foods like packaged goods and canned shit, you know, then you're going to have a lower vital force and then you're going to have a lower movement between the polar opposites. So like the, the first energy field and, and even the, the subtle, the subtle body comprised of the mind and the emotions, it also works on this principle of opposites. Uh, when I was talking about the causal plane, the causal plane is even beyond that. It's, it's informative. It's causational, causative for everything else lower to it. And it is not based on polarities, but the unified field of, of those polarities. They're unified. Um, but anyway, your answer to diet is, yeah, diet has some role to play there for sure. Like you don't want to be super toxic and laden. In my work with people, uh, I've come to really think that the unified field aspect is the same as the life force energy that's animating the body vessels itself. That that's the primary thing. That's the ordering principle to the universe. So in a way, you know, like our mental level can create the type of compartmentalization of that flow from yin to yang and yang to yin that leads us to having a less healthy body. Our body gets (laughs) like, I've worked with people where in where their mental hangups were at causing, you know, that was measurable in their biofield that maybe they have a lopsided biofield on one level, you know, that the, the chakras work pretty literally when you're looking for them with tuning forks. So for example, Seeing people, I've seen people with um, really out of balance hip hips, like one is forward and the other's back. And then on the energy level, their field on one side will be shorter and on the other side longer, like lopsided. So it's kind of a chicken or an egg thing. I, I don't know if it's like one is primary to the other or that they're just a perfect mirror and they always resemble each other the subtle and the physical but definitely finding how your (laughs) beliefs and stuff are creating the disruptions in the the flow of your subtle energy your life force energy and clearing that your body can even handle some pretty 
like I think our bodies are completely pos- capable to handle even extreme toxicity buildup pretty fast and and sort it out. <laughs> you know that uh, that even without a lot of extra or external help to do so, if you get the beliefs ironed out, you know, it yeah, it really sure. helps to start looking at everything like it's in your mind. The yeah, everything in reality is in your mind. Our we minds aren't in the physical here. world. Our our bodies our, our bodies don't contain a mind. It's the other way around. Your body is in your mind. Yes, absolutely. And I'm a big <laughs> fan of the you know the subtle effects, the gross. The gross is the follower of the subtle. It mirrors it. Some say it's a two way street, but it's if it is a two way street. Most of the traffic is going for the subtle down to the to the the gross. So the, yes. the subtle energetic, the vital into the physical, and then the physical can influence the mental by it being compromised. But that's because the mental state is first compromised. So it's like it's like a secondary reaction. There, I have so many quotes from different cosmologies that that express this. Like in the book, uh, the Course in Miracles says. Only the mind is capable of error. The body can uh, can create a problem only when it is responding to misthought. And you know, Paramahansa Yogananda in, in the um, the uh, autobiography of a yogi says that he calls the cells, you know, one hundred billion trillion or something faithful subjects. They're faithful subject. The body, the cellular level, the body is faithful to the mental um, positioning of the person, to their attitude and their beliefs. And the body will function healthfully when the mental emotional field is in harmony with the person's true nature. But we had a chat about that, you know, Chance, like we we delved pretty deep into that when, when I was on last time. So I, I am a big, big and, fan and of that. Not to like, this isn't like ripping on you, but that's why I can't trust RFK Jr. and his fucked up voice <laughs> because I can't <laughs> always uh, mind body following mind. So it's like, there's got to be something wrong in the mind, but that's I, not well, for you. There, I mean, is, you want to respond to that, that's fine, there is, there is, there is something there. There's no doubt about it because it's a chronic problem. There's something wrong. But you, but what I'm saying is that we can't make an assumption as to what that is to say, oh, he's, you know, dishonest or something because you really don't know. You really don't know what that is. Yeah, there's a problem. I could get behind that because, you know, sometimes it's not like people have throat problems because they're a liar. Could be more like they're afraid to speak their mind, but they're, but, you know, in that position, uh, not telling not telling the truth is kind of akin to lying. You know, when we see somebody in politics or like a, a Rogan or something who a couple of years after it's important is now telling us, Oh yeah, yeah. The, the cowpokes are bad. That's all really bad. But you know, two, three years ago, they were requiring it for people to come into their home. Is it, you know, it's the tr- the truth at the right time is as important, if not more important than uh you know, it's it's kind of still lying if you wait till it doesn't matter anymore to tell the truth. Yeah, I mean, it still yeah. matters. It still matters that people find out the truth about what the last couple of years were. Don't get me wrong, but it's a, it's a different kind of impact. I've got to ask before we keep going and, and to back to that unified field stuff. Is, are you guys talking about like, do you think that what you're speaking of 
is is God, or do you think that's part of the creation? What are, what are your takes on that? My I think the life force is God. I actually think that. Yeah, you you were saying something. Topi's delicious. <laughs> um, you know, I think if it's manifest, if it's created, like if we're experiencing experiencing it, it's created. So maybe the essence of the creator is in it, but it's not the creator. I, I, I'm of the mind. I still kind of follow my Vedanta Advaita roots every once in a while. And like, I don't think you, I don't think uh, the realm of God is experienceable. Not, not from this mental construct perspective. Yeah. I'm sort of on the same page. I, I you beat me to it. I was going to say that I was going to say that, so that which is manifest is created and it can have the essence, just like Topher said. And also it can reflect what created it. It can reflect the true nature of creation. Right. Um, so you, you can think thoughts or your, your mind is still as a beautiful, like pristine glacial lake. There's no ripples of movement. Your emotion is at peace and your body is in a place of still you know, calm and, and then you're in your best state of health. So the, as soon as we go from the place of pure witness consciousness, the pure consciousness that unites all field, all fields, which is beyond space and time, beyond things that are created, that's the pure essence of the creator. Mm-hmm. But then when you look at, there's some like Advaita Vedanta schematics that show the human being and the ohm symbol that is that that oneness that we're talking about, we're call, I'm calling that God. That's what you're you know referring to, Dylan. It's it's within and it's also without. So I do think that the the expression of the the what we call God can occur at the created level as well. And, you know, I used to, I've gotten a little bit more um, differentiating between the different bodies that in, that we inhabit. So, so you can just simply say, well, you got the physical and then you got the subtle energies and everything that's subtle is, is part of God and everything that's physical is more like manifest or whatever. But it, but it even gets more subtle than that. You have, there's five bodies that we inhabit, right? And, um, the the vital body is a a form of energy which is in motion that is corresponding to the higher levels. It keeps getting higher and higher and subtle and subtler until we are in the causal plane, and the causal is still manifest. It's the child place. It's the it's the place where if you want to look at the Christian, the Judeo Christian, um metaphor of Christ, it's where the Christ sits on the throne. The child of creator sits on the throne. And that throne room is extremely high in vibration. It's so holy. Like if we were in front of that, we would just be like like blown away by this massive amount of holiness and healing. And it's still that's still manifest. So the manifest has the holy for sure. I, I agree 100 percent that there is that they're mixed together, 
And even in the crude physical, there's holy. But the, the, the further that we get away, the more we have to unlock the physical. So through alchemy, there's levels of purification. There's a shell of evil, for lack of a better term, that encompasses the physical world that is basically that in the body is made up of that kind of quality. It has this, this veil of removing us from our true nature. But inside of it is stored the, the pure energy of creation, too. It's a lot to think about. <laughs> yeah, you know, I had an experience. I really like it's anecdotal. But just to, I, when I was on the, one of my ayahuasca ceremonies, I was taking levels up. And like in between, it was like what you're describing, but it was like carnival, like lights, like just that childlike energy. But then the further I got to the top, it was almost like Atari, like simple programming. It was like so like basic. And that's what you were describing just made me think. And I was like, no, I kind of like it a couple layers down away from that. I've been to the Atari level too, and there was just a big talking head, (laughs) but it was like made out of very, it was practically like made out of very faint green, like symbols, but they were really close together. It was like a line drawing. So you basically just, uh, the giants are telling us the truth. The giant talking head basically just told me that uh, I was already everything that I wished I was and to uh, just go with the flow. (laughs) <laughs> and, then it, and then and then it was like now listen and then i heard this whooshing wind hit my back and then i just got whoosh, sucked back down into my body it was uh it was a good time was that also ayahuasca it was dimethyltryptamine many years ago Woo! under a full moon in my backyard in a lawn chair i uh nice. ingested smoke. it through i ingested the smoke inhaled the smoke and uh my entire when when I went up, I had my eyes open and uh, my my entire body of my lawn chair launched up into the sky and I was sitting in the chair and I was at the same height as the moon. And I was like, I, I think this will go better if I just close my eyes because it's really uh, freaky to be this high up in my lawn chair. <laughs> I, I closed my eyes and it just became like the the carnival tunnel, like that level. And then got me to the uh, the big talking head. That's why, you know, those levels are exactly like in, in the Kabbalistic, the four worlds of Kabbalah, you know, Sri Yukteswar, when he visits Paramahansa Yogananda, he's talking about this, these different worlds that we inhabit. Right now, we are inhabiting all four worlds simultaneously. Uh, but our consciousness usually is restricted to the lower world. But when we take DMT or you take, uh, you know, psilocybin or something, then, then the veil of the brain is transcended, and then you know, we experience ourselves in that colorful world of the astral. So, uh, Dylan, I think the, the place you like hanging is the astral. Now, what, I, what I've come to understand, or what I, what I think I understand, I should say, is that, you know, for us, like, when we, when we leave this world and we go into heaven, you know, a lot of people that have near-death experiences, they come back and they tell very similar stories. They talk about the astral as being heavenly, like the most majestic colors, colors you can't even put into words and beauty and soft winds like on a perfect spring day. And it's heaven. Yes. Well, get this. That's the subtle world. 
that is called the astral world. It's the second world in Kabbalah. It's the world of Yitzira. The, the physical world is the world of Asiya. But when we go from the world of, of Yitzira into the world of Bria, that's the causal plane. That is the heaven of heaven. Hmm. And that, the, 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 to imagine there being a heaven of heaven so that relatively the way we would experience the heaven in the astral to go from the astral then to the causal. Oh my gosh, the heavenly sensations, you know, in, in the book by Dr. Eben Alexander, the neurosurgeon who was brain dead for like over a week and he wrote proof of heaven. It was his testimony of, of his near death experience. Well, more like brain dead for like a week. He says that, you know, the beings that were in the causal were so filled with joy, they had to chant in <laughs> glory of God. They had to. They couldn't hold it back. It just, it. Yeah, isn't that, it's not so powerful. Like if they if they tried to hold back that joy, they would have exploded into a million pieces. They had to chant in glory of God. So that's the causal. It's so powerful, uh, but it's very, it's very simplified. It's very, it's all like maybe what you're calling Atari, right? It's just, it's concepts, it's principles. It's the core. It's like the matrix of, of a, an idea that forms into a thing. It's the principle. It's the, the basic principles. And I think it's very simple there, but the joy, the joy level to surrender there is, is, is tremendous, tremendous. Yeah. Real quick. Um, the way you, uh, de- like describe that word Yetzirah is way better than what the average Joe translates on the internet for like Sefer Yetzirah. That, how come they just call it the book or cre- how come they, that's the, the way they call it is boring as hell. And the way you described it is way better. <laughs> You're talking about the Sefer Yitzirah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The- You're talking to Moshi, dog. You're talking to Moshi. <laughs> yeah, I'm well, a hype man. I just, I like the way he describes it way better than the way people tells me what it means, you know? Tell me what it means. Bring it, Moshi. Now you're talking about Sefer Yitzirot, like the, the book of, of creation, right? Of, I think it's translated as, yeah, the book of creation. Uh, it's either that or the book of life. I can't remember what people say it means online. Yeah, yeah, but I was just curious. The book of creation. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, that, that book is powerful. It talks about like Hebrew letters and the power of Hebrew letters and the three mother letters and, and like how creation is created and stuff like that. It's, it's powerful. It's a, it's alleged to have been written or all the way back in the time of Abraham, which is 5,000 years ago. Um, I think it's an amazing work. And I think there's also lots of other really great books too, you know, like, and great, great potential. I think we, we, we are blessed in this day and age to be exposed to so much knowledge and it requires a tremendous amount of discernment. That is true because you can't, you don't want to just like take everything at face value because there is still a lot of BS floating around there. But when you encounter some really divine work that has emanated from a very high level, you just, you, there's so much of that now. We have so much access to it. 
You know, the, the whole Christian prophecy that the truth will be shouted from the mountaintops. That's happening now. There's so much truth that is available. It doesn't mean that everything is truth. We're not all pure. There's a lot of falsehood. So we really do have to develop discernment to know when something resonates as truth and when we're, you know, it sounds true. Like, like there are, as, as we know, there's a lot of agenda and misleading crap, right? So you're not going to get anything out there that's pure crap. It's going to look good in many ways. And then the agenda is going to be slipped in there. And that's what they want you to believe. They want you to believe that one piece that is going to separate you from some really important piece of knowledge, but they have to sugarcoat it. They have, it has to be the wolf in sheep's clothing. It has to look like the truth. And so you're going to get a lot of truth, but then you have to have that discernment and be willing to say, Hmm, I'm not sure about that. There's a lot of that out there. Crickets. Nice. <laughs> no, it's uh, it's nice. divine. Sometimes you don't science. need to say anything; you just need to contemplate. No, we're just basking. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I've. Uh, it took me about six years to be able to not have like a miniature anxiety flash up as a host whenever there's like dead air. Like, oh, <laughs> but it, it actually feels good sometimes. It feels good, man. Like we're all just here together, you know. You know, you know, you're dialed in when you can have comfortable silence on a show. That's right. Yeah, I agree. A good, good quote. Okay, so this is a total curveball, but I wanted to know what you guys think of this uh, this idea about where about like um, cycles of time, the sun. So, okay, I, I heard this from Owen Benjamin. I think two days ago, but he, uh, I don't know where he got this idea or if it just came into his mind magically, but the idea was that he was trying to figure out like, why are chemtrails a thing? And what, if there was some kind of positive, like positive is maybe a strong word, but if there was a, some kind of reason for the dimming of the sun that made sense to people who wanted to keep the current version of society going. <clears throat> and, you know, considering the perspective that this is a, a realm and not a ball flying through an infinite void, right? And considering uh, some of the things in the book of Revelation that maybe are possibly allegory for something real, uh, the idea is that what if the sun has, first of all, and I actually agree with this part, what if the sun has a full-on a consciousness to it that it's aware of what humans are doing, what the world, what's going on in the world. And that when the revelations speak of the stars falling from heaven, it could be a reference to artificial illumination that at nighttime, you can't see the stars in the sky in most places. That was such a cool insight. It was such a cool insight. And there was like a lot to it. I probably won't (laughs) capture every layer of the idea, but the basic idea is that, And I've had this thought too, like, you know, what if we're in some sort of oscillating pendulum swing of consciousness where our knowledge of the truth and of the all and of what nature and God and reality is basically like swings from being purely internal 
to purely external and that there's a journey that goes both ways from from internal to external. And I had this idea when I realized like we well, I was trying to figure out who in the world, who in the world would have been able to figure out a system of astrotheology that is so complete and complex and and so like you know, it whole, it really does allegorize like everything that nature does in the order and process that it does it. You know, it seems like beyond even a lot of the scriptures, honestly, literature from not even that long ago seems so far beyond the pale of what people have the attention span for now. Yet, ostensibly, we know more than we've ever known in an externalized sense. You know, it's all on hard drives. It's all in books. So the idea being that when the stars fall from heaven, you can't see the stars at night anymore. We're using artificial electricity, which has been a part of this conversation. We're, we've got this artificial illumination that the sun, you know, and I've observed the whole sun being yellow when I was a kid and now it's white. Definitely. I remember that, <laughs> you know, the sun is definitely more white. So what if the sun is basically like, Hey, you guys aren't on our, you guys aren't on God's time anymore. You know, you're no longer respecting Kronos. <laughs> you are doing daytime stuff at nighttime. You know, everything you're living like it's summer in the winter. You have, you're not connecting with the land. You're not following the natural cycles of reap and sow. And that the sun maybe in some way gets closer or intensifies some aspect of what it's doing. In an attempt to, or not an attempt, like just in a gradual, gradual push to uh, disrupt and destroy the technology that we're using. Not in like an all at once cataclysmic way, because maybe there's like mercy to it, but maybe in like a gradual sense, you know, and maybe this has happened before. <laughs> and that's part of what was being attempted to be described in the scriptures that humanity does this, you know, this sort of Luciferian. Promethean taking the fire of heaven and bringing it down to earth. And as that progresses, the sun is like going to correct us gently like a teacher by disrupting that technology through some increase in its intensity in the electrical field that it is permeating the world with. And, you know, his whole thing was what if the chemtrails are to try to slow down whatever that what whatever is going on with that to uh, <laughs> prevent the uh, apocalypse of our current way of life and it's interesting because that does kind of give a more that gives something that makes more sense as to why you would have all this the son of god returning the son of god will return thing you know so there's i'm sure there's more to it if people think about that they might be able to find a lot of ways that that applies to me it's fascinating it even like connects to the uh, the old the old stories of Saturn being dethroned in a sense, like that Saturn was the sun at one time, called such. But anyway, <laughs> uh, I want to know what you guys think about the possibility of all that. I love the theory. <clears throat> I I because there's a there's a metaphysical thing with the chemtrails because. I've experienced it. Other people in the podcasting world have experienced it. Like Tom Barnett and I have talked about it a bunch. I listened to these Christian guys turn me on to it like five years ago by loosing, loosing the uh, angels and like um, 
claiming dominion over the archangels of your area to clean up the demonic energy above. And Moshe, years ago, you were you were relating to me with alchemy, how the devil rules the air and air rules electricity. And so for years and years and years, I had this like terribly negative connotation around chemtrails. Even to this day, I talk about my home being a big or uh, like a big cloud buster, the home I'm designing. But I'm not coming from fear when I say that. I'm I'm coming from a place of being like, okay, what's above us as you go up? It gets more and more metaphysical. It's not so physical. And there's some connection with our consciousness, just like we were talking about earlier with the machines, like with the mojo cell, with all this stuff. Our consciousness somehow can bridge the gap with whatever that stuff is up there. Like, all I know is stories of what's up there. I've never been on a plane that sprays it. I've heard every theory in the world about it. But I do know that you can apply your consciousness. And for me personally, if I'm in my heart and I'm not scared and I want the sky above me to clear, or if I feel if I want to connect to God and the sun is out, if there's clouds or chemtrails between me and the sun, Somehow, some way, one corpulescent ray will come through the clouds. Something will occur that will connect connect me, like what I would say my physical body is, to that body that's up there. And so I'm of the mind that the sun is a very metaphysical portal. <laughs> and a lot of the obfuscation the the dimming that they're doing it's literally to dim it's literally to to i think there's so many signs and wonders right now that are occurring that when they obfuscate the sky it it limits people's experience of that and so i'm of the mind that it could be both things that, yeah, the people that are in control are trying to maintain control. And the number one way that they do that is by obfuscating the signs and wonders that are above us. This book right here, I recommend. It's uh, been a few years since I read it, but it's called Son of God, S-U-N of God yeah. by Gregory Sams. And it's just an entire book exploring the idea that the sun has intelligence and consciousness and is like communicating with us and shaping the direction humanity goes. And in alchemy, you know, one of the most definitive books on alchemy is the Emerald tablet. And it talks, it talks about the miracle of the one thing, right? It's the, it's the one thing that unites all things. It's what brings life. It's what brings immortality. It's basically the, the philosopher's stone, um, in a sense, and it says like it's father, it's father, the the one thing, the miracle of the one thing. Its father is the sun, its mother is the moon, and then it talks about the the, the air element and the earth element as well. But the sun is the fire element; it represents the father, and the the moon is the mother element. It's, it represents water, and together the sun and the moon create. The child, the father and mother created child. The child is made up with the fire of the sun and the, 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 the water of the mother, the moon. And when the two marry together, they create steam. 
and steam is water that is carried in air, which is the water bearer, which is the, the, the sign of Aquarius, right? Like, you know that Aquarius is the, the water bearing sign. It, it's, it, but it is an air element. So the sun, I mean, the sun is, is, I can go on and on about the sun. Like people used to worship the sun for a reason. It's, it's incredibly important <laughs> for our world. And I, I could only see chemtrails as being some sort of opposition to where we are right now. I think, <clears throat> I personally think that humanity is, is on the brink of the thing we've all been waiting for for a long time. I can't say exactly when it's going to come, but I think there's a mass awakening, a global awakening, a heart, a, a oneness happening event. Um, and there, the, the Luciferian, the people behind the power structures and the, the controls of the earth are doing everything they can. They're like bad losers. You know, they know they're losing and they're just, they're just kicking them up as much dust and trying to take out as much stuff as they can while they go along. It's like chemtrailing is, is so, it's so awful. You know, like you have summertime and it's beautiful out and there's this clear blue sky and these fluffy white clouds going by. And then there's this layer of shit above, which, which hazy, you know, clouds out the sun. And not only that, I mean, the obvious raining down of these heavy metals upon humanity and people are becoming super toxic and they're absorbing it. And that's making them more susceptible to the electromagnetic radiation that they're putting out with 5G and, you know, that technology. So for me, the, the chemtrails are obviously a, a dark endeavor. I, I can't imagine there's some kind of good, you know, that we think they're bad, but it's really good. You know, like there's something good happening. I can't imagine that slant. I don't know if you were suggesting that chance, but. I can't imagine. Uh, no, I don't think it's good, but <laughs> that uh, yeah. trying to figure out the why, like, because all of the quote unquote bad guys, for the most part, I think it's very rare for anybody that's like, I'm doing evil for evil's sake. You know, right. oftentimes in their own mind, in their own story, they are the good guys. So trying to put, I think that was where Owen's train of thought was taking him. But to me, I was more interested in the thought of the uh, sun. <laughs> having the uh, ability to intentionally disrupt our sort of uh, <laughs> Luciferian or harmonic or whatever Steiner would call it, the uh, technology we're using that allows us to subvert the, the order, the natural order. You know, I was yeah. more interested in that part of the weave that the sun could be returning, so to speak, that it's doing something and they're trying to stop that. The they, whoever they well, is. For sure, man. Like, it's not just the sun. It's it's everything is returning. You know, on December 21st, 2012, which was the end of the great year, the Mayan great year, right? The, the Mayan great year is 26,000 years long. And interestingly, the galactic heart center, which, I mean, this is, this is a little globe earth, um, a globe earth kind of cosmology, but bear with me for a sec. The, the galactic heart center, which is at 27th degree of Sagittarius, it's a black hole called Sagittarius A. And that is in, in the cosmos where the, 
the solar system, like the, the Milky Way is the, the snake eating its tail. And that's the point where the snake eats the tail. So it's the beginning and the end, the great alpha and the omega, the mother and the father unifying in this field where all souls go to upon death and they come from in life. So that, that Sagittarius A, that galactic heart center is 26,000 light years from earth. So if you look at the great year in the Mayan, what, what I've deduced is that, so it's year zero when, when this great year started, the light of the galactic heart center began moving towards the earth. I know this is very linear and sort of a linear model, but look, bear with me for a sec. So the, that, that whole great year in the Mayan calendar is 26,000 years. So 26,000 light years away in 26,000 years, the light of the galactic heart center starts to arrive. And it's a black hole energy. It's the energy of unification of opposites. So this energy has arrived, has arrived on planet Earth, and it's creating massive changes, massive awakenings in people. I mean, look at the conversations that we're having right now. That didn't happen before 2012, like much, much less. So we're, there is a massive acceleration of human consciousness. And the sun is a massive beacon for that. So as the unified field comes of the, the marriage of the sun and the moon from the galactic heart center, and this is just a linear model again, the sun is representing a, a great portion of that. And so I could, I could totally vibe with what you're saying, Chance, that the sun is putting out some huge energy right now, huge, as a reflection for what's going on inside of us, inside of every blade of grass, inside of every cubic inch in the, in the atmosphere, everything is waking up. Everything. Yeah. 26, which is a God, <laughs> like, you know, it's always associated with God. What it makes me think of. That's Yova. That's the literal. If you look, uh, is it 26 or 28? Yeah, no, it's 26, right? Yod, Hey, Vav, Hey, you have the Yod. That's 10. Uh, Hey, it's five, Vav is six. Yod yeah. Vav is 26, yeah. So yeah, you got them all up, it's 26, which is the eight, yeah. You know, and then the eighth, so the uh, the eighth letter, or is it the, is, yeah, it's the eighth letter, but in the Greek powers of notation, it's nine, but the eighth letter is theta, which is a circle with a line through the middle. And it's derived from the Phoenician teth, which is interesting. I'll get to it, but uh, other ways it could be like it means wheel to the Phoenicians. <laughs> so a, a wheel is very indicative of the big, great cycle of the larger scale, the 26,000 years rounded up. And they would demonstrate that letter with a circle with an X in it or a circumpunct, like circle with a dot in the middle or the circle with the line through the middle. And I also found it interesting. I was just looking into theta more closely, but the Cyrillic version of that letter, they call it Fita, which is demonstrative of uh, TH to F interchange, <laughs> which when I was, there's like home movies of me as a little kid. And uh, I would talk about the dinosaurs being killed by a meteor. And I would say it was a fury. So I think that <laughs> with the way people talk sometimes, you know, I, I hadn't put it on my list until to like a couple of days ago, but the TH to F interchange, I think is 
ends up being kind of valid. But anyway, to uh, Porphyry, he said that the Egyptians symbol for the soul is the same as the theta or the circle with the X. And I think that's kind of like evident in modern neuroscience because the theta brainwave state is the one associated with like meditative states or being able to tap into the deeper research recesses of consciousness. You know, it's like what you're going for when you, the, the float spot in my town is called theta because you're trying to get to that state. And uh, in the Greek powers of notation, it's nine. So it becomes like theta is nine. So that becomes a symbol of the Ennead as well. According to John the Lydian of the sixth century, the theta symbol represents cosmos because it's a symbol of the agathodaimon or the, the uh, serpent that is the sun wrapping around the world, like the Orphic egg with the snake around it or Midgard, the world tree and uh, the world tree with the snake around it. And according to uh, some sources, the ancient Greeks said that theta was a symbol for death also because it resembles a skull in the way that they draw it occasionally. And they would use that as a abbreviation for Thanatos. But I, you know, that is kind of like the beginning and the end of your greater microcosmic cycle, the death point. And in Teth being the Phoenician name for it, if you do the T to D interchange, Teth becomes death. So there's a lot wrapped up in that eight or the 26. And that's just coming to mind for me right now. It's also Thoth or Tut or Tat, another name for Buddha. Yep. Going back to the Emerald Tablets. Yeah, that's right. Thoth, Emerald Tablet author. Nice. You know, all this all this talk makes me think of the Yugas, too. Are you familiar with the Yugas, gentlemen? Though The ages uh, described in, in yogic, you know, like Vedic, Vedic records? Yes. I'm familiar with them, but my... My understanding is fuzzy in the sense of like kind of similar to how the way history was taught in school never really quite fit together. So it makes me suspicious of the accuracy of the system, you know, but I do I do comprehend the system. I wouldn't be I wouldn't say that there's not something about it that's accurate other than like the (laughs) the priests always are changing their mind about how long a cycle is and what. What is what? But the idea that we go through a type of spring, summer, fall, winter in a macrocosm, that makes tons of sense. Yeah, it does. You know, there's a book by um, Sri Yukteswar, who's the master, we could say the master of Paramahansa Yogananda. I I really jive this guy. I find him to be a very powerful, they call him the lion. He's just a really powerful guy. When you look at pictures of him. Are, are you just, pronouncing Yukteswar? Yukteswar. Yeah, yeah, Yukteswar. Is Yukteswar. that okay? Sri Yukteswar. Okay, great. Thank you. Whatever. I don't. I don't know how to pronounce it. No, I just want to make. I, I just want to make sure I'm on the same page as you. Yeah, yeah. yeah he lived in the Yukteswar. ashram. He knows how to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. I'll defer to his uh, Sanskrit ability. So, anyway, he he basically says a very interesting thing because a lot of people think that we're in the Kali Yuga and we're approaching the great death destruction that's at the very bottom of the barrel of the yugas is this great destruction and then a rebirth and we come out of the kali into dwapara yuga well what what's very interesting is that the yugas the ages represent also a reflection of where humanity is in our relationship with our true divine self so in the kali yuga we are in the 
dark ages. You know, basically conventional medicine is like a Kali Yuga medicine where it's like the dark age where, where doctors like think they know everything and they give toxic petrochemical drugs and there's no understanding of mind body. There's no acupuncture. There's nothing. This is a dark age medicine. But then, then we move into Dwapara and Dwapara is, it represents the higher world. So every age is also a symbolic of a world that we're living in. So we don't no longer live strictly in the physical reality of the darkness of the physical dimension, but we expand and we go in and we're living in the astral. And in the astral, the astral plane is, is made up of polarity, of yin and yang, which we were talking about before. And yin and yang polarity is, the, is exemplified in electricity. Electricity is very powerfully a powerful way of describing the dual power age. And if you look at planet Earth, we've had electricity significantly for over a hundred years now. So Sri Yukteswar, Yukteswar, whatever, he suggests that in the in the Kali Yuga, many, 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 many thousands of years ago. There was a king who saw the Kali Yuga coming and he bailed and he left his incapable son to keep records and the, and the son screwed everything up and they lost records of when the Yugas actually are. So right now, Yukteswar says we're in the Dwapara age. We're in the first couple of hundred years. We've come out of the Kali Yuga. And what I see is that the, the dark forces that thrive and dwell in the, in the, Kali Yuga and the Dark Age are clinging on for dear life before we kind of kick them in the head and they fall to the dust. And then we will accelerate rapidly into this age where, whereby we will harness the power of the opposites of the yin and the yang and the subtle energy fields. Um, the, the next ages are extremely interesting too where the next age, the Tretia age, represents being in the causal. And there's that's ruled by the still magnetic light of, you know, Walter Russell, uh, the still magnetism, the pure, you know, zero-point energy, scalar waves, and incredible medicine, incredible medicine. The final age is is when we exist in, in the absolute world, the world of Atsilut in, in Kabbalah. And that's the world that is beyond all things where we're immortal, where there's no disease, there's no fear. The only problem I have with this, this model is this idea that we're in the we're in the golden age, the age of uh what is it? Do you remember what that's called in uh Satya? Satya. Satya. Satya Yuga, yeah. Um, and then we just start to descend back through consciousness, like we fall in consciousness through the ages until we're back in the dark age. For me, that represents a kind of a, like if you, if you look at Buddhism, Buddhism ex, ex, accepts this idea of reincarnation, but that the reincarnation is a form of suffering. That when we transcend suffering, we don't need to reincarnate anymore. So I see that the yugas, this cycle of enlightenment and then darkness and death and enlightenment and darkness and hell and going like this is kind of a reincarnative cycle of humanity. 
And we have to get out of, this is my, this is my feeling. We got to get out of this cycle. I don't see it serving a great purpose other than there's some kind of game involved in, in falling and rising, falling and rising. I don't see it as like this beautiful, spiritually wise element of the universe. I think that we got to, we have to transcend it as humanity. So when, when a human being transcends the process of reincarnation, you stop coming back to earth. And I think as humanity, when we graduate and we, we all move into the higher state of consciousness, we won't need to keep falling back into the, into the, the barrels of consciousness. Hmm. That's all I, I have to say about that. <laughs> I was exposed to a different school of thought with the yugas, which makes kind of, kind of resembles what I've witnessed with physical systems. And the way, the way the yugas were explained to me that made the most sense was that you go from the, the Kali yuga to the Satya yuga. It's like you fall all the way down and then there's a complete reset and then you start at the highest where there's the most negentropic, the most order, the most crystalline, coherent energy. And then it's the function of inertia. It's the function of this plane of existence in and of itself where systems degrade over time. It's a degre- it's a degradatory system. That's why the 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 temporal is unreal because it it is temporal. So the temporal system you always start at the highest level and fall down. And then that that's the whole point of it is for the souls that are here to actually not be to 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 release from the samskaras, to release from the karma is is you understand that there are no idols within the temporal realm. None. You cannot have any idolship. And this is where the whole authority and jurisdiction with your creator pulls you out. Where that's what actually releases you from, from quote unquote karma. And when that was explained to me, that made a lot more sense than, you know, you're in the Kali Yuga and then you work your way up and you go from the, from the, from the Iron Age to the Copper Age to the Silver Age. That's not the way physical systems work. That's not when you build something, it's at its highest peak when you build it and just after in the break in point. After that, no matter how well you build it, it degrades. We see it with our physical bodies. I think in the past, people lived a lot longer because our environment was much different. So, you know, maybe their system didn't degrade till year 600. Either way, it did degrade. Like anything that has a start, has a middle, has an end. And that's the whole point of the temporal realm is like, guys, this shit's temporary. Don't like love it while you're here, do the best that you can, but guess what? This is not the end all be all. And that's that's the way I, I that's the way it makes sense to me and that's the way I understand it. That's cool. I gotta say thank you. Marty showing up with a nice super chat. Thank you, dude. 
I was uh, having a thought earlier that it would be really fun to get Gnostic Academy Marty Leeds on here with uh, Moshe and have a education on Kabbalah. That could be pretty cool. Woo! I'll do my homework for that one. That'd be cool. And thank you, Jason, on the Rockman side for that super chat. And thank you, Rachel, for the one earlier in the show. You guys know I have a baby on the way, so, you know, send me money. Really? <laughs> that shit's going to be expensive. Well, I'm well sure. Moshe and I have babies. Uh, I want my cut. Where's my cheesy cut? Yeah, man. Yeah, man. I think it might be interesting to do a kind of a talk on fatherhood. You know that? Oh, yeah. A big topic. That'd be a, that's a that'd be a, you're you're in for a treat. This is this is one of the the peaks, the the summits of this world, man. Is being being a parent. I know um, you're talking about like the moment uh, that might be approaching where we have this epiphany of unity consciousness in mass and i'm like i think that's about seven months away <laughs> chance is like that's my child my child is the messiah <laughs> if it's if it's a boy i don't think girls are allowed to do this. <laughs> the lion king <laughs> i'm open to like name suggestions though i have no idea but not, you know, no pressure. <laughs> Dylan, Dylan, you've been, I've been a little quiet. Uh, what do you think about all this gravy? I know it's, well, it's not your wheelhouse, right? No, I mean, I, I like contemplating it. Um, I don't really subscribe to any of the yoga stuff. I think they're cool ideas for people, but we're not going back. We're only going forward, and I don't see any of this as a bad thing. I just see it as it's it's like the consequences of everything that we've done and that everybody's done before us. And while sometimes it might seem difficult for some people, other people are experiencing their highest and best selves in it. So it's, it's kind of like a choice of how you interact with it. But going back to the chemtrail, I have like the, the realism uh, aspect of it where if you look at like a lot of the um, the patents and stuff from like the 80s with like what they were doing with the ionosphere I think it was probably I mean we don't know the extent to how we're able to communicate with this amazing technology right we're able to we're having like a cool bro campfire chat like this is shit that I would be doing on a Sunday night or something you know at the summer home whatever all kicking back around a bonfire but we're doing it in different parts of the world on this technology and i think the chemtrail thing might have been something that started off with that technology to facilitate that but also maybe maybe there's a military function to it and so part of it i think might be to protect us and from the other capabilities of people to attack us but at the end of the day if all that stuff is true about the Strontium, and it's in the patents. I've looked at them. Strontium, the barium, all these heavy metals, they're using them. And that is going to cause serious problems. But at the end of the day, the earth will cleanse itself. It'll heal itself. So we just have to make the most of it, you know, unless until somebody comes forward and, you know, somebody has the courage who actually knows what's going on with that and is responsible for making those decisions. We're kind of, it's, it's not really something we can worry about. And so I think you should, people, whoever, if you're, if you're afraid, you shouldn't be 
because there's nothing you can do about it. So you don't have anything to worry about. And if you can do something about it, then do something about it. And then there's nothing to worry about. Very Buddhist. <laughs> I have a personal I also don't subscribe with- to reincarnation. I think, I think you can, but I don't think it's a punishment. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think God's going to be like, well, you fucked up in this part of your life. You need to go back and relearn that. I don't think that's how it works. It might be though. I just don't, I think, I think it's, I was, ta- I was actually talking about reincarnation. I think maybe yesterday or, Oh no, maybe just in person. I can't remember where I was having this conversation, but uh, there's a book called Gustav's China, his three voyages in the 1830s. And he's a missionary. And what he said about what was going on with Asia is that the people are so fucking miserable, opiate addicted. They, their mindset is so fucked up. They don't, they're not, they're not good friends. You can't count on them. They're very like fickle. Like they'll pretend like almost like Hollywood where like everybody will pretend to be your friend, but then tomorrow they'll have a totally different set of beliefs or whatever based on their whims. And he said, one of the things that was disturbing about that was that you have all these people who are just like, for lack of a better term, just like kind of like indigents or bums or whatever. And they all don't give a shit about getting themselves out of that situation because in their mind, they think that, in, in a few more lifetimes, they're going to return as a king and everything will be okay. So they don't need to give a shit. And I think that as a storyteller, that cheapens the stake, the stakes, where when you create a scene for a movie or anything to have value, every decision by every character needs to be the most important scene. Like you have to raise the stakes, the most important decisions. And if you can just sit back on your laurels and go, ah, if I fuck up, I can just come back. That's not a good mindset. If you're trying, if you're going to be great and you want to be remembered and you want to make an impact on the world, you have to come at it like, this is it. This is it right now. This is it. We might, I'm not guaranteed that I'm even going to see my bed tonight. I could get in a car accident on the way home and that's it for me. But guess what? We had this awesome conversation and we made the most of what we had right now when it mattered. And I think that's how everybody should approach the world is live in the moment as best as you can and trust your instrument. And when you start having fear or nervousness or all these other emotions that don't really serve you, it's because you're thinking about outcomes of how maybe things should be or what you wanted it to be rather than just live it, breathe it, embrace the moment. I've got a yellow sun in case you can't see shining upon me right now and it's gorgeous and it's not white and it's soft and I'm looking at all these vibrant colors. It's like I'm in Elysium right now. So I guess I golden think, hour. Yeah. I think a lot of this is just, it's subjective. Not that reality is subjective, but I think your experience with it is based on going back to what we we're talking about with the mind. What you think of everything is how it's going to translate to how you react or perform in this environment, which is going to ultimately create an outset of outcomes, whether you want it to or not. So you have to try to think of, okay, what's going to, what thoughts are going to serve me best that I can act on and create the outcomes or the consequences that I intend. I think that's awesome. Uh, And as to what you're saying about the reincarnation mindset can lead to complacency in the life you're in. I found it, uh, I wonder how it would affect things if your belief was different than that. I was reading the Ordinances of Menu, which is a translation from Sir William Jones in 19 or 1796. (laughs) The guy was uh, totally 
totally amazing for bringing us fluent in eight languages and capable in another 12 with like dictionaries. The guy is incredible. So with the Hindu scriptures, they're not necessarily always consistent with one another. (laughs) And a lot of them are hard to access now. And so this one in particular was interesting because it's like the ordinance of ordinances of menu. It's like a law book, right? But it begins before it starts going into the laws with a cosmogony of sorts. And menu is, you could say like an Adam slash Jesus Vishnu type character, the first born of Brahma after Brahma splits the egg. And in this, in this, he, uh, he basically says that all beings have a certain role to fulfill and they will always come back and fulfill that role again on each and every successive birth. So it's not a caste system where you can move up and down the ladder in this version. It's like you are what you are and you're always going to be that. So I wonder how that would affect things if you would feel better, like feel like maybe I should do a better job with my role. If you thought I'm always going to be a street sweeper or <laughs> I'm not coming back as a king. But either way, I prefer to just not assume anything about a, a supposed next life other than I know I'll continue to exist because existence is a given non-existence doesn't exist, (laughs) but you know, will it be in a form like this? I don't know. Well, you know, there's no guarantees. I definitely appreciate that attitude, especially as authoring your own life story to always consider that, you know, whatever phase you're in, even if you can't see it, the stakes are high right now. You know, even what seems like a minute decision is going to have ripples out into your future that will you know, they they get bigger and bigger the further out they go. Yeah. You know, I I like this topic of reincarnation. You know, I wouldn't I wouldn't throw the baby out with the bathwater. So if people let's say some people have this sort of like a maybe relying on or deferring to the world to come, the next world, and they don't live in the now, well that's a that's a mistaken relationship with whatever, you know. Like sometimes yeah, you'll yeah. get you'll get Jewish people that say you know, in the world to come, then, then we'll be rewarded that, that kind of a thing. Um, I like to look at reincarnation as the soul being, you know, what Topher said earlier about having idols. So if we have an idol of anything other than the one, the divine one, however we might look at that, then we get attached to it. When we get attached to it after death, we're drawn back to try to fulfill that desire. So I see reincarnation as being driven or the en- the engine of, of reincarnation is driven by desire. So it could be desire for the flesh. It could be the desire for, for being respected or power, you know, like I want wealth. Like a, a person may have been poor in their life and they looked at people that were wealthy and said, oh, my God, I need that. That's their idol. I need that wealth. Then I'll be happy. So they, they're drawn back because even when they're in the, the, the heavens, in the astral, their, their soul is still weaving their will because they're part of God. So their will has creative power. So they're, if they're desiring something in, in, on this planet, then their, their, their soul will draw them back onto the planet to try to fulfill their desire. So that's that's how I see the pull, the push and pull of, of reincarnation. I think what I you think just even uh, sometimes it's such a strong pull. They don't even they skip the whole reincarnation and they just try to pop into somebody who's already fulfilling that <laughs> desire and take over. 
<laughs> I was about to say, I think you just described like the primary motivation behind like the transhumanist movement. Like they're like, we just want to preserve our consciousness so we can keep doing the pumpy pumpy. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, right. that was uh, such an interesting part of the whole homunculus talk with Juan last week that the uh, part of the goals of the alchemists were to create a ability to transfer their consciousness into a different vessel. It's like, man, they've, they've been on that idea for a long time. Are, are you talking about the Korean show Alchemy of Souls? That depicts that exactly. No, I don't know about that. You know what? I, I'm not a big, I don't like watching TV series. I feel like I'm getting hooked and I, I get hooked just like anybody else. And then I'm watching this shit and I know, I'm, I know there's manipulation in it. There's such terrible writing, but there's something so pure and beautiful about that series. I truly love that series. And um, it, there, there has a lot of cool principles and it really literally depicts that idea that, that a, a mage could transfer his or her consciousness into another person and switch identities with that person. That's sort of like the basis of the series. I, I really like it. I, I hate to endorse any kind of TV series, but, and it's on Netflix. So, you know, sometimes they're, they're worth it. I mean, honestly, it's art. <laughs> Not all art is created equal. Uh, it's more about your relationship to the medium and what, like, I think that there's good out of it. Honestly, I think that the age of television and movies and novels and stuff allows us to work out some karma that we wouldn't be able to work out in uh, all in the same lifetime by identifying with the story or the protagonist of a a story. I totally agree. Yeah, that's a beautiful thing. There's movies that are very moving and very healing. There could be catharsis like emotionally around trauma. It could be reintroducing you to some principle that you never knew. It, it, you know, the medium is not all bad. It's there's lots of goodness in it for sure. It's just manipulated largely. That's all. Forty year old virgin healed so many things within my consciousness that <laughs> when I saw it, I was just like, oh, okay. The karmic- They're just like those sandbags that you grab. The exactly. Of sand. The karmic wheel like completed itself for me after that. <laughs> Thank you, Steve. Go Carl. fuck a goat. <laughs> <laughs> so if I watch that movie, I've never seen it. I'll be as well adjusted as you. Yes, exactly. Pretty. That's high. a secret. That, you know, he that just waited two hours in to reveal his deepest secret. <laughs> so, gentlemen, I have a hard out. Um, no, this is a good time to just wrap it up, guys. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, thanks for yeah. having me on, guys. It was a great, uh, great. I love these higher-minded conversations. You know, it's it's fun. You know, I think a lot of people sometimes when you have these conversations, there's always the people in the comments are like, well, "Why didn't you say this? Why didn't you say that?" And it's like, dude, we're just friends having a fucking chat about life. You know, it's it's fun, <laughs> and we let you in on that. Like, exactly. Totally. What yeah, do you got coming up? We'll be guns out next time. What what? Yeah, the vibrant dress code is no <laughs> sleeves. So sleeves are right out. Other than that, anything goes. Pants optional. I you know, what's coming up for you, Topher? What do you want people to know about? Um, we're launching season two of the Bio Charisma podcast. That's, that's coming up this week, actually. 
What's different about season two? Much better music, much better thumbnails. I'm just taking your template and I'm copying it. Oh, um, good. That works. Yeah, yeah. Much, much better. Um, much better graphics. I just, I've already have six of the interviews that I've done and it's answered so many long, like really long health questions I've had where I, I feel, I kind of feel a relief. I had all these questions for a very long time and it created a very perplexing worldview, but I don't have that anymore. So maybe it's just a function of maturity. I don't know, but um, the, the inner, the people I'm getting on the show are awesome. And um, yeah, it's just fun stuff. Lots of construction. I'm not going to bore anybody with that. And uh, yeah. I got, I'm going to start, uh, I'm going to document uh, putting in the mojo cell into my forerunner and all the experiments that I'm going to be doing with that, all the experiments with the biochar and aircrete. And uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be very, very tangible. All the stuff I'm about to start producing where, where people will get to kind of see the concepts that we've been talking about. That's badass, man. <laughs> Oh, like one of the things I'm so happy to be friends with you about is that I feel like there's very few people on the world that I could learn the things that I can learn from you and you live close to me. So yes. yeah, going to be a good life. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. How about you, Moshe? What do you got coming up? What do you want to tell people about or just direct them to, you know, where they can find your work and, and whatnot yeah. and such. And thanks for coming on, dude. This has been fun. I'm, I've already got another talk that I want to bring you for. So that's cooking up in my head. Well, thanks. I love it. I, I, I'm, I feel truly honored and blessed to be a part of this and a bunch of down to earth guys with like deep thinking. It's, it's like, it's food for the soul, man. I love it. So um, it's a, it's a, a deep gratitude to be a part of this. Um, yeah. So I'm going to be starting my four, my, a new year, my fourth year in my full program of holistic counseling. It's a professional program teaching um, practitioners. And that could be, I mean, it doesn't mean you have to be like a, like a naturopathic doctor or anything. I, I do teach lay people, that have open hearts and willingness to learn how to do holistic counseling to, to reveal in a, in a person's belief systems, what's, what's causing their suffering. And it's a, it's a full year program. So the new program is starting in October, end of October. So new cohort going in and there is a, a price hike that I'm putting on my, my program. But if you want to join in the next couple of weeks, I will honor the present price, the present price. Just drop me an email. And that would be at uh, my, my website is holistic without a W. So it's, H-O-L-I-S-T-I-C dash counseling with one L dot C-A. And you'll see on there when the next event is going to be. I'd love to train you if you want to learn how to do this and to help people really profoundly. So that's that's what I got coming up. And uh, plus a bunch of fun projects like just on the side, like Topher with electroculture and working with like different forms of creating HHO. I'm, I'm still uh, on Topher with Topher, definitely about the orgone side. But I also yes. have an interest in HHO because we could do a lot of things with HHO, like hydrogen gas production. If we can really maximize production with low amount of power, then we have the ticket to lots of, lots of. Is that like Brown's gas? 
Yeah, that's right. That's exactly what it is. It's Brown's gas. It's the electrolyzation of water, electrolysis of water, sorry. And, and you can burn the gas. You get new water, which has incredible properties. You get heat. You also can have torch. You could, you could create steam with your heat and generate, you know, turn a turbine and generate electricity. So there's, there's lots of things. Like I said, I'm I just inhale it. I'm barely using it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I use it every day, but I, I mean, there's so many other ways you could use it. So many ways. Like, like I, I also inhale it. And honestly, you don't want to inhale more than like a liter a minute. Otherwise you're going to be blowing your brain out of your head. Oh but, yeah. Yeah. But if you can produce 10 liters a minute, uh, for example, then you're getting 600 liters an hour. You could, you could just, you could do a lot of stuff with that, a lot of stuff. And that's what I'm looking at. But if you're going to be, if it's going to take you like 20 kilowatts an hour to do that, it doesn't, it doesn't really serve the purpose, you know, uh, by Topher, Topher just bailed. So, so yeah, I'm working on that stuff. I'm always working on this stuff. I'm working on alchemy, alchemical projects, but the, the big thing is the holistic counseling project. Uh, program starting. So thanks for, thanks for that uh, to give people a heads up. Beautiful, man. I'm all about it. I, I have ambition someday to try to teach my method of helping people find the beliefs that are holding them back. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm reluctant to do something like that because I feel like I'm still constantly learning so much more and more about how our energy field is structured in terms of the the mental elements of it. So if people want to come and get a session with me, hit me up chance at interversepodcast.com. I probably have a little bit of opening left in July, definitely plenty in August. So if you want to make it happen, let's do it. The biofield tunings are just Phenomenal. Dylan, you had one. How's it been since you had one? I feel like you're, you're muted. Honestly, I feel like you're a little less. Uh, I haven't noticed anything yet. I haven't noticed anything yet, but maybe it's like a subtle thing. Like if I were to like, re- like, yeah, I don't, I haven't noticed anything yet. Okay. <laughs> Not a bad thing. Not a bad thing. It was a, it was a fun, it was a, it was a cool experience. I highly recommend people do it. I just have like, I don't know. Like, I guess for me, like, it was more than one pro bono. Yeah. We were just doing it and uh, I didn't really, I wasn't like, I think stuff like that, you have to be motivated. There's gotta be something motivating you to go to it that you can focus on. And I just didn't like, I don't know. I feel like I'm at a pretty good place right now. So it's not, you know, it's more just tuning it up, I guess. Right. Tuning, making sure everything's tuned, adjusting that bio field or whatever. And, Honestly, my observation of you since we did it is that you seem a little less, uh, a little less ready to fight. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like things from my observation, seems like things are going smoothly for you that you're in like interactions with people on shows and stuff. The, uh, there's like a element of background friction that was there that doesn't seem as evident. So it is a subtle thing, but. I think that you're you're totally crushing right now. Thank you for the uh, thank you for the honesty. <laughs> I haven't noticed anything yet, but I think honestly, the investment in the process and the need for something big to shift can you know it's different for every person. Yeah, well, that's yeah. what I'm saying. Like, yeah, it's like it's like if you're if if you're bringing your car in for a tune-up, right, and it, and you just need an oil change, it's not like it, it's just 
maintaining. You know what I mean? Like, I don't feel like I was like, nothing's there. Was, I wasn't coming to you with like a blown gasket or anything. Yeah. And, and you know, in, in my experience as a naturopathic doctor, I, I specialize in homeopathy. It's one of the things I do along with holistic counseling. And I've had so many patients tell me, you know, I'm like, how are you doing? How are you doing on the remedy? And they say, well, I don't know, no, no, no. it didn't do anything. And I'll say, okay, uh, how are the headaches? They'll say, what headaches? They don't remember. Like, it's a very subtle healing. Subtle energies can be very subtle, and the person doesn't realize it's like a slow moving of a plant. You know, if you take a plant and you move it away from the light, it slowly moves back, and then it's back at the light. It forgot where it came from. So that that could be a principle about what's happening with with Chance's work. Um, I don't know, but it's possible. I, I see that in my practice where people are unaware. You know, they're not always aware. And like you said, Dylan, you might just like if you had like a, a major issue that then you could compare and contrast before and after. But if it's just a subtle tune up, maybe not so much. Was that a distance healing or was that like right in the presence of this distance healing? Yeah, I pretty much always do them distance, um, you know, in terms of like when there's a pressing issue, I often do see almost immediate resolution with that. But there wasn't anything for Dylan. My last client, however. Uh, after the session, they were like, I didn't know that I wasn't able to breathe fully until just now. <laughs> like yeah. after the, we did an extended one for her as a two hour session. And uh, her, she said that it was like, there was a weight off her chest and all of a sudden she could expand her lungs all the way. It's pretty cool. There is some gnarly stuff going on with that person though. So, you know, it's, I think the uh, results can be more extreme based on how extreme the especially childhood trauma or bad family life as a child is. And I learned some things about Dylan's childhood and family life, and it wasn't all that bad. He, he had it pretty good. Yeah, for sure. Well, yeah, yeah, I guess like, so like, I don't, I, my parents split up when I was little, so I, I don't remember them splitting up. So I think that was one of the things that we kind of talked about and worked on or whatever, but that's all subconscious stuff, right? Because I wouldn't, I don't have that trauma because I don't remember. My parents never fought around me, so I never saw any of that shit. But he picked up on it, you know. So it was like it was one of those things. Like if if you the the bio uh, the bio field is a little off, and we you know we tune that up. But I mean, it's like I don't. I wouldn't expect like you. Can, it's not just like miracle work, like where you get some sort of healing done, and then all of a sudden life turns around. It's like no, you're just running back. You know, you're you're the whole thing is about maintaining health and maintaining all that while everything is kind of like in this entropic cycle. Yeah, it's totally true. Part of getting tuned up is preventing possible distortions in the physical body that come about from prolonged mental distortion. And uh, <laughs> that's probably why most of my clients I end up seeing are in the like older than 50 is probably the most common range. Cause by that point, if they haven't addressed those issues, then they're starting to really feel it. You know, it's like tuning an instrument, right? It's you literally it. just like that. So it's like, yeah, the I sound good. Or the strings. I sound good. You tune me up. Great. <laughs> I didn't wait for the, I didn't wait for the strings to break before I went to you and said, Hey, can you tune these broken strings? <laughs> yeah. Maybe you prevented a, a string break. You didn't even know it. Right. Like it's a subtle thing. Hey, um, I know we're winding down here. I got a question from uh, Real Simple Earth Jada. He said, can Dr. Moshe give examples of what he recommends for headaches? I'm curious. So can I address that or do you want to wrap up? We could do it another No, time. go for it, man. That's good. No, address, address it. All right. So, yeah, 
Um, so this is a good question, which comes from the model of reality that express that, that medicine is like you give something for something, right? So, so what I recommend for headaches is would be very individualized. So headaches have to, that could be a number of causes, causes that would lead to headaches. Um, it could be postural. It could be like you're exposing yourself to too much radiation. When, what, usually when something does get chronic, though, those will be just aggravating factors. It's not the cause. Like if you're, if you're eating bad food, it's not the cause. It's just a trigger. You know, the, the screen time is a trigger. The cause is usually, usually on the mental, emotional field. So headaches have a lot to do. I mean, they could be any number of things. If it's blood pressure related, it would be bottling up emotion. And then there's some belief around, you know, it's not healthy to express anger. If it's like you're, you're always thinking about something, you're worried. So your mind is like, it hurts because you're always thinking. You're not giving your mind a rest. Um, I could go on and on to give you a number of reasons why people get headaches. And my, my suggestion is to explore what's behind it. Because the whole idea of medicine saying, well, what do you give for X, Y, or Z is just based on this very like uh, externalized medicine and not the internal, that the mental emotional is behind the, the chronic manifestation. So yeah, I would recommend you look into, do some exploration. You might want to read my book. It could give you some inspiration. It's, it's called Holistic Counseling, Introducing the VIS Dialogue, V-I-S Dialogue, and it's available on Amazon. I'm going to have to pick that up, man. <laughs> Definitely sounds good. My like last. I've got something. Sorry to interrupt. I, I, I mean, since you gave me the tuning, um, I just went on Old World Florida's channel, and that's a bigger channel than I would normally get exposed to in terms of audience. And um, we did a great show. And that. Yeah, just and you had a nice up. dance without there being any hurt feelings about differences of opinion. No, which... no, no. Oh yeah. I don't. I don't get hurt opinions. The only time I get bothers when I know people are lying. You know, when you get somebody, that's the you know, so why are you lying? When they can't concede a point because they're just like there's so much ego or whatever it is. But in terms of like maybe that wouldn't have happened if you didn't give me that tuning, right? And then I did another podcast with uh, Pat, the thepatlife.org or dot com. I can't. Remember. Oh, is that out? No, it's coming out. But it was again, it's a conversation like this that we had where we're talking about art and beauty and like going back to what Moshe was saying about the the TV series. Dude, if it's moving you, it's not bad. Like if you're having a great experience, who cares who made it? That's the beauty with the art. It doesn't matter who made it. Is it is it is it inspiring you? Is it making you think about something? You know what I mean? It's almost like dreams where you could have this complex dream and you learn this incredible lesson and then you don't have to experience that in real life. Like you can avoid something or you know what happened in the dream and then you can emulate that in the real world and fucking win and whatever. It's just so maybe that, you know. All these little subtleties that you guys are talking about, that, that could be one of those things that tuned it up and helped with that. That might I might not have attracted that into my life if I if we hadn't done that session. I think that uh, that's you know, we can't prove that, but <laughs> it was a really good show. Very, very cool. Uh, I wanted to say though, for advice to anybody out there maybe having some kind of specific health challenges or pain or discomfort. What what I think the starting point is for all of this in terms of holistic health is to open up your mind to start processing the idea or the perspective that, you know, that the things going on with your body based on what part of the body it is, what that body part is used for, 
that it's very metaphorical, but in like a almost literal metaphor, <laughs> you know what I mean? That uh, if you're having problems with the legs, then it might have to like something with a knee or an ankle that is having to do with your, your path, your walk through life, you know, right side, left side, uh, active, passive, or, you know, giving and receiving that, that type of binary, all of it is, uh, you know, start interpreting it almost like a dream and that will help you, you know, move some mountains eventually. It'll lead you to the epiphany because really it's the epiphany that you're looking for, the aha moment. <laughs> and then that's where the healing comes in. If you're like, it clicks, you know, it actually, because when you have those epiphanies, you feel energy. There's an energy to it. That's the release of what was blocked. You know, it's coming back home. It's at the subconscious. It's not just because you can learn something at the intellectual. And if it doesn't penetrate into the subconscious, you don't have that click. Then you're just like, it's just will based. It's not like the whole body's on board and the emotions on board. When you have that aha, everything is moving forward together. That's what we're after. Exactly. Exactly. Kazi's asking about the left ankle as a simple generalization without knowing more. The left ankle has to do with feeling, uh, stress or anxiety or fear about something that you're struggling to move away from or feel like you're chained to and can't get away from it. So that's the simple answer, but you know, we'd, (laughs) there's always, when it comes to issues with the body, there's always in the energy field too, there's always some other levels that are activating too with where the stuck energy is at for the ankle. So it's not just like the one thing you might be feeling it there, but there may be other parts related. But yeah, let's wrap it up, guys. Dylan, where's uh, where people can find your stuff? Everything you want with my books, my social media, my podcast appearances. It's all at beacons, B-E-A-C-O-N-S dot A-I slash great tide. And um, I've been really prolific. I've got tons of posts all the way scheduled into autumn uh, on my sub stack. That's where I put all my research now and uh, some behind like uh, some podcasts that I'll do that are behind paywalls I'm getting up there from now on and uh, if anyone wants a free month of membership to all of that just uh, look at um, greattide.substack.com and then uh, my latest post will give you directions on how everyone can get a free month and uh, if you like that um, they have a referral system like almost like a uh, what's it called like like a affiliate almost like where like if you share people's posts if they have it enabled if somebody subscribes to me whether free or paid but they use your link because you shared the work then you after you get a certain amount like three referrals gets you another free month five referrals gets you a three month and so on you could probably never have to pay for it so for people who are struggling you know you can still get it by just sharing it and bringing other people on board to to access it and it helps me grow the channel and that's where i'm doing at right now so anyone wants Substack a free month is crushing yeah come on <laughs> in set mine up. all right uh moshe thank you for being here dude we'll uh we'll do it again soon thank nice you good to meet you dylan a lot of fun jazzing with you loved it yeah you're you're mashiach now <laughs> <laughs> no that's chance's uh soon to be born son <laughs> <laughs> well my wife was having trouble finding stuff that was fairly out in the open so i think there might be a boy in there oh okay cool man well yeah. good luck whatever it is no matter what it is you're gonna love it to, to bit so that's right all right good night everybody much love good night, guys Adios. See you later. Adios. bye everybody